This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here to do what I think is our final Game of Thrones podcast uh, series wrap up. We have, uh, you know, seen all of Game of Thrones, including the Last Watch documentary, which is the two hour sort of behind the scenes kind of making of the final season uh, documentary that HBO put out. And you can find that on HBO right now. Uh, we're also going to do a little bit of audience feedback and talk about a couple of other uh, uh, like predictions and stuff that we had made before the season uh, yeah. started. And I think it's always fun to go back and look at how completely wrong, or maybe in some cases right, we were. Uh, that's enjoyable. So, Aaron, what, what do we? What else are we going to well, do? Anything? Yeah, I mean, I got some other thoughts. I've because I've been listening to some other criticism and still hang haunting the uh, the, the the forums and the, the the reddits and the places the the podcasts where this stuff gets talked. And I, there was one um, one point in particular I want to talk about. But I thought maybe we could talk about the new thing that came out, which is the Last Watch documentary, mm-hmm. um, which focused entirely on season eight. Uh, I guess let's open up the discussion. My I guess I was pleasantly surprised at how little the double D's played a part. And I wonder, mm-hmm. is that was that intentional steering based on or, or was that just like the double D's? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think because like that's the other thing. I took a lot of baggage in this documentary and I think I have some accurate conclusions. But I also think that there's a lot of the things I'm going to say that are fed into that, that are produced because of my reaction to the season. OK, mm-hmm. first thought is. Is it because is like so the double D's are in this for maybe thirty seconds. Um, they there's one of them that gives a speech on the last day of filming. There's a few that breeze by and uh, there's a, where they both breeze by and look at like some crypt whites from the Battle of Winterfell. Um, why were they not like it, it'd be like watching the expanded the, the special features of Lord of the Rings and uh, you know Peter Jackson's not in it, which is not the case at all. What, what do you what do you think before I start speculating wildly? What do you think the the reason is? Uh, I mean, it seemed to me that the documentary was framed around like the people who were on set mm-hmm. and 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 actually put in the work to make this production part of the production right. happen, not like pre production, not post production at all. Right. Uh, it was all about the people on the scene at the at the time of filming, uh, whether it comes down to directors or extras or hair and makeup, like people like that. So I think they just there wasn't room for them in this documentary, and it was already two hours. And you know, I I almost feel like we needed another one or two parts to this to get the whole operation. Included. You know, I didn't even realize about the fact that they also did not talk about the the post production at all. I no, guess I not was expecting I, and that's maybe another reason why it felt a little bit hollow to me because I was expecting something like the Lord of the Rings, where it's like. 
um, you know, or DVD special features where it's like, here's the writing process, yeah. and here's where we struggled, and here's the thing. And we knew, like, I, I mean, I was hoping for like 10 or 15 minutes just to back and forth to Dave and Dan, like, to, to kind of walk through. Didn't get any of that. Didn't get anything about the music, which is mm-hmm. one of the best parts about the show. Didn't get anything about the special effects or... Because because the other thing is like when I was watching like the Battle of Winterfell footage being filmed, I'm like I can see everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like so like was was there a, 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 did, was somebody in the like post viz effects being like more smoke? We need more smoke. We need more fog, less light. Like because it did seem like it was filmed in a way that like the shitty documentary cameras could t- see what was going on. So uh, yeah. I don't know, because um, my thought is maybe the double D's like like HBO's like, hey, let's film a documentary. We've got all this footage of the stuff that we did before, and like Dan and Dave are literally like, <laughs> just just like you know fiery tracks heading off towards wherever their home is yeah. in California or license Spain. place that say Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe because because that would also explain the po- like well if if. if the double D's are like, yeah, well, do whatever you want, but uh, whatever deuces, then maybe you just focus on what you got and the the thing that could be, you know, to blow the line, folks. That cause, cause, okay, what did you think? What it, what was the tone and the mood and the emotion of the doc expressing? Which I thought was kind of curious myself. I want to see what you thought before I start coloring. I, I think it is it, it is several things. Um, one is just you know the the sadness that it's over, but also yeah. the relief that it's over. Yeah. Um. The the sacrifice that people had to make to make this all happen. Uh. It, I think those were the three primary things. Yeah. I was trying to because again I compare this to the Lord of the Rings, which which is kind of the the maybe my first experience with a like in depth making of kind of Blu-ray style, just like look at this twenty seven hours of this thing mm-hmm. and how like there was a similar amount of pride. Like the pride and skill and the craftsmanship that went into this season un- undeniable. But yes, yeah. there was also this kind of like dread, both that it's kind of like, you know, there's a sadness of it's being over, but also like everyone universally is like, I get my life back. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering like I think about how upbeat and passionate and and toned the Lord of the Rings documentaries were. And those were all filmed in like a space of a year. And then they did a whole bunch of post work. And there was like a year or two or like, I think maybe two or three years of of pre pre work. But like that was like three or four years of a person's life. And they're super proud of his out the door versus this stretched out over a decade. Um, And some of the sacrifices these people made was intense. Yeah, they they kind of zoom in on the um, makeup and props department. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. and and the people, the husband wife team that sort of got in over their heads with this whole thing and didn't, you know, realize exactly what they were signing up for right. when it became so huge, uh, but got it done nevertheless. Yeah. And yeah, the sacrifice they had to make they they both had to be working on this full time in mm-hmm. different countries, and so their daughter had to stay home. Very young daughter had to stay home without them, yeah. uh, in the care of someone else. The I think entire she was time. like in between three and five, um, and that's yeah. you know that's a, that's a tender age to be gone for like three months, like yeah. gone, gone, and then weeks and weeks of night shoots, just freezing yes. cold up in Iceland, just frozen tundra as far as the eye can see. Right. You're up there for fourteen, fifteen weeks, just shooting every single night. It does seem like there was some frustration about the season that they shot into. There's a lot of, um, it seemed mm, like the yeah. artificial snow guy was pissed because, like, why do we shoot in the winter 
when there's not enough snow to dress it, but then there is any snow, then it's disastrous because it ruins our artificial snow. And right, because um, I remember one of the reasons that people said it had to be filmed in this particular time slot is because obviously winter's coming and you want a bunch of snow in the ground, and that didn't really seem to be like maybe that one scene where they go to sweden or norway and they they filmed in fjords with the waterfalls and then added a bunch of ditches. like maybe that is where this the snow was but holy shit so much of that was green screen anyway yeah like that was i think was amazing as they, they went to this amazing location and then the two actors were standing in front of many green screens because of course you got to throw in another waterfall I, I i don't know i i guess i was surprised at how um how kind of and, and and maybe again this is my emotional state i was surprised at how kind of dour all the proceedings were and how um like like stressed and pissed everybody was <laughs> uh my 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 favorite person i think in that whole documentary is the snow guy yeah because he you can tell he's working his ass off uh-huh. and you know when when shit happens like oh real snow fell we can't do our job as the snow people uh but the one thing i took away from that is i think we finally finally settled whether it was snow or ash Kings in, snow. in King's Landing. It's both. Yeah. It would be both, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the right, ash, right. obviously the ash would fall. But he was putting down snow and saying things like, oh, as if it had drifted inside the the walkways here. So like, we see a one flake on Jamie's hand, so this is the excuse I got, the blast snow in King's Landing. So yeah, yeah there it's was. It's both, definitive, yeah. Uh, yeah. which I thought was nice. But yeah, he, he seems like he is so far... Like I, over his head is not the right term because that implies that he can't handle it. Uh-huh. But he's he's in so fucking deep right. on this thing, right? Uh, that I just look at the fields that he's trying to dress with snow, and the methods that they have for doing that. Which yeah, they have a machine, but also I see people pouring out, like going over it with the machine and then going in and fine tuning with big bags of it, you and then take, you got to take the tire tracks out and right. It it looked like that alone was enough to employ like 10 people for mm-hmm. months and months and then the other thing that's crazy is like they were packaging up the snow to drag it to another set because it's cheaper to do that than buy more snow i guess when it's yeah. just paper and water is what the mm-hmm. yeah like some of the and his theme of like i don't want to waste any money and then they made it a point like 15 minutes later in a documentary just having specified just just one blue towel please don't want to waste any like that right. seemed to be you know, the reason he's managing the mountains of snow is because he's going to make sure you, if if you got $3,000 budgeted for snow, you're going to spend 3005 Yeah, no, that's the thing. That... You're going to spend $2,997.37 <laughs> and buy God, he'll have right. the three pennies uh, left over and change. Uh, th- that was the thing that really impressed me is they, they just mentioned it sort of as, as an offhand comment. It's the idea that they are doing film finish on a TV budget and timescale. Yes. And... That's the thing that I don't think, like, when you see it on screen, you don't factor that in, right? Mm-hmm. That the, the time scales and, most importantly, the budget is just not what a big movie is. And yet, we're getting effects. Oh, yeah. And and set dressings and makeup and acting and directing, all these things that we expect of films, they're delivering on those much smaller budgets and times. Yeah, and I guess I, 
I I mean, intellectually, you're aware of like how much wiggery goes on, but like essentially every woman's head that's dressed in the show, it's a wig. Yeah. And like what you have to do to like get ready to make a wig so it doesn't look like a wig and how much and that then like, in between shots, you're in there with like it, your it, fingers. It, it feels like plate. Amelia's in the, the, the chair as long as the Night King. So, I mean, I, I know that's yeah. literally not tr- true, but um, she had one of the earliest hair and makeup calls just because getting that that regal fe- fucking badass signature Danny pile of hair and improbable braids configuration takes takes a long time um what did you think of the stark bannerman uh the andrew mcclay guy is that his name yeah it's it seems like he maybe like like the the bannerman extras like the star the hero extras seem like they're the ones that have the most fun on these things i think so yeah yeah, I mean, because they're just Cause they come back out. year after year and hang out with friends, right? And just seeing them geek out, at like, oh, you know, when they're walking into like their their the first day of their call, and they're like, oh my god, look, there's all these Stark Kings. They're going to be in the ground. How cool that is, and and being on these massive sets and wearing the uh, wearing the the arms and armor, um, it just seems like it is it is a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem like you know we we got to hang out with one of the hero zombies of like, the Walking Dead, and it does feel like that those are because you're hanging out with the big celebrities and they're usually talking to you and there is kind of a like the his it's so weird because they built up his um his emotional arc was essentially to give kit harrington one of his uh extra jackets uh-huh. and um okay fair enough <laughs> yeah that this, my kid tried to give him money for it, which is funny right that's also, the that's the danny burns king's landing plot of uh, the season eight documentary just uh I'm not sure if this, <laughs> okay. all, if this all follows as an emotional core, if it works, how I'm feeling, if it subverted my expectations. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that this documentary, uh, I wasn't expecting it to change my mind. I don't think it would. Um, and I, I felt like it just it blew my mind at how smart it was because if you got into any of the editing or if you got in any of the story writing, it's just going to be a fucking minefield. But if you just concentrate on the stuff that everybody, even the quote unquote haters go out of their way to be like, Hey, this shit might not make sense from like narrative standpoints, but it, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It's well acted. And, and this is just why, like just a sheer amount of stuff. It, it's actually kind of amazing that they were able to do all this for the budget they did have. Oh like, yeah. The King's landing set alone is is insane it is uh yeah yeah i was sort of watching it with the mentality of or with in a minute that star wars making of uh episode three documentary yeah kind of watching it with that in mind and that is definitely a more holistic look at film making process right uh this is much more a focus on the people who were on set Mm -hmm. during those those final filming scenes yeah and that's the thing is like everybody's at all different levels of cinematic appreciation like this could be very mm-hmm. you know for a lot of people who game of thrones is like their first show they've ever covered or first series they're into like a lot of this stuff is going to be a real revelation like just how much work and all the behind the scenes stuff but it, it left a person like me who's gone through a lot of this with the different marvel movies and star wars and and lord of the rings and even you know more serious you know serious film type criticism like this was kind of unsatisfying because it's just a very small part of it but it's only it's kind of that's the thing that that i start i keep starting to talk about is when did they decide to do this documentary because 
it felt to me that it steered around the stuff that everybody thought was going to be surefire bang. And and I wonder if HBO knew how how long they suspected that this might be. Well, let's talk about the table read because I think this goes into it. Yeah, yeah. You saw the reaction to Arya stabbing the Night King. Um, of course, that's a moment of triumph. Um, but then you saw like people's reactions to like uh, Conleth Hill's reaction to Varys getting getting burned, and like he, oh, yeah. you know, and, and Kit Harrington who went into that room, you know, the the story goes not reading the script, and him. I mean, it's so easy. That's like a Rorschach test. Like, is Kit Harrington disgusted? Is he disappointed? Is he moved? Is it like what? Like what? I feel like the fans are putting a lot of their own analysis on different character reactions when they see reviews and they see press appearances. And this, we kind of went through this Mark Hamill in The Last Jedi. What, what's your read on how, what, how the table read went, how everybody's kind of um, – like what, what was the behind – what do you think the behind-the-scene reaction to this thing is before we all got to see it? Uh, my feeling is that everyone there was genuinely devastated by what they were reading. Uh, I felt like, you know, Kit and Amelia's and, and Conlis reactions were genuine. Um, like they were genuinely shocked and saddened by what they were reading, uh, and what was happening to them as characters. I think Conleth Hill was maybe the most affected though. He didn't show it quite as much as the others. Uh, he seemed almost angry. Yeah. He seemed almost pissed off that Varys, I, I don't know why exactly, but that Varys was dead. Went out like this. It, yeah, maybe it's like this, or maybe it's just that it happened, because I know a lot of actors get pissed off when they, you know, make it this close to the end of the series and then get killed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one episode from, you know, finishing this thing out. Right. Uh, maybe he thought he was going to live, and then it turned yeah. out he didn't. I yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I, I got the impression that all of these reactions were genuine, that Conleth may have been, you know, devastated, but also angry uh, a little bit, and Kit and Amelia were just shocked and sad. <laughs> I wish I could have seen the reaction to Danny burning the city. I wish I could see the sure. reaction to Jamie leaving Brienne and dying with Cersei. Uh, um, I wish I could have said it, it would have been, uh, yeah, my perfect uh, making of which I'm, you know, maybe this would be in a season eight. Is like I would love to see every single character's or actor's face as they got to like their final scene, mm-hmm. like. You know, what did Gwendolyn Christie think about her finishing off the white book with Jamie? So there's just a lot of stuff there that. I don't know. It felt like they were kind of editing around what has been talked about of like some strong reactions. And I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what to make of these fan theories of Amelia Clark was secretly pissed off about, you know, how how her end and date. Because, like, you know, now that I've seen it, a lot of people saying, you know, because she she basically said uh, when people ask her, what do you think? She kind of made like a like a grimace face. But it's kind of like. Is that because secretly I'm the villain and it's not that I don't like it. It's more of just like, oh, what a bummer that was. Or if it's more like, I hate this. I don't think it's in Daenerys' character. I I don't know. Yeah. But it just goes back to like, this is the the documentary you shoot, I feel like, to put a good face on something that is kind of broadly disappointing. And either they just got lucky doing that or they knew and were intentionally shooting a documentary to put that, that brave face on it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Anything else you want to say about the documentary? I I did think, you know, to kind of go along with that, it was sort of funny. Every time they showed somebody drinking a coffee, I was like, one of those is going to end up on set. Or like, there's there's one thing. That's tension. That's some tension. (laughs) There's one thing where they they talk about, you know, the, the TV constraints, and they say that they basically found the limits of this production, which to me implies that there were things 
they wanted to do that they couldn't do. Um, and, and maybe things that they needed to do that they couldn't quite get done to their satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- and then that feeds back into, oh, well, season eight was disappointing in a lot of ways. And, you know, how, how much of that was simply running up against the scope problem? Like, yeah. how how big can we make this fucking thing on this budget and time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I don't I don't know how to parse that because I was trying to figure out the same thing. Like, are they saying that because like it's a good thing this is over because there's nowhere this to, for this to go but down? Right. Or we found our limit and that means that we had to go back and like cut some things out because like the other thing is there's another we talked about this on I think the spoiler podcast or maybe it's the 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 podcast or the main episode of last week where someone wrote in and said that there was some behind the scenes footage where. Uh, Kit Harrington slips on some snow and interrupts a line, mm-hmm. but it was in the middle of him and Danny talking about how you control dragons. Like, what is the exactly the like li- like literally in the middle? He slips and the lines blowing his ha ha like a kid or a kid. He he can't wink and he can't walk on snow. Um, and in this, there was another section, a different section of dialogue from that scene, also cut that was in this documentary, and I wonder how much got onto the f- cutting floor. And I also wonder why, because it didn't seem like they had to hit any particular runtime in any of this stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what constrains it. Like, well, we'd like to put the scene in, but it requires three seconds of CGI and we just don't got it. Like we have you know, yeah. to maintain continuity of all these fucking waterfalls. We got to get rid of uh, and the only one good scene we had kit kit slipped in. So we're fucked. Like, I, I wonder that's why I would love to see something on editing and something on like, you know, how many hours were shot versus how many hours did we get on the frame? Yeah. Um, or did we get on the TV? I, I, I don't know those answers and I want to, because I, again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where exactly is there. A, is there like a 12 hour cut of this season that makes things make more sense? I don't know. Um, I doubt it because I, yeah, like, they probably why, like, weren't shooting to that. Yeah, they'd be shooting. Oh, maybe they run like an hour over on in total on the season. But yeah, it seems like the more expensive a, a production, the less extra footage you shoot because you know you're going to have like if if you're, you're it's like you know you get your shots and you get your safeties and you you got to move on because what are you going to do? Take flyers on? Oh yeah, I might do this and we'll have to spend thirty seconds of CGI budget, which is going to be three point seven million dollars, and then we got to kill all the direwolves. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um. Okay, I want to move on to a point. Um, I saw a discussion on Reddit because people are kind of like, you know, this is what people are doing now is trying to decide, you know, why are we disappointed? If we are disappointed, if we like it, why do we like it? Uh, how are we talking through these issues? And someone mentioned this episode of a podcast called Talk from Superheroes. And this fellow, one of the hosts named Andrew, this is episode 175, if you want to look it out. And it's like, I don't know, 30 minutes into his podcast, he talks about that there's this writing exercise that in between every story progression, in between every major plot point, an, a writer should be able to say because or therefore, and it should connect to something logically, uh, preferably in the past and also towards the future, unless it's like the climax. And then, of course, you know, uh, you don't have that. 
Um, and if instead you are forced to write and then, then that's the first clue that you're kind of writing like a child does. Like a child doesn't think of like the history of the characters. They're just like, and then this guy finds a sword and then he goes and kills a dragon and then he becomes king. And then he like, it's, it's, it's a fairy tale style of writing. And, uh, he went through a couple different examples. Um, but if you look at like season one, you know, because Ned Stark loves his children, he compromises his integrity to falsely confess to treason. But because Joffrey's mother and father have kind of passively and actively raised him to be shallow and cruel, he goes off script and has Ned executed instead of sent to the wall. Therefore, the North is going to rise up and call its banners to get revenge. And because Rob chooses love over duty, he disregards his marriage alliance with the phrase. And because of this choice, his bannermen grew disillusioned with his campaign, therefore weakening his kingship. Uh, therefore, the Red Wedding happens because Tywin's able to exploit this to bribe the phrase and the Boltons to betray Rob. And then you get into season eight, and it's like, and then Arya kills the Night King, and then they go to King's Landing, and then a dra- dragon gets killed by a crossbow, and then another dragon kills all the crossbows, and then Bert, ba- Danny burns the city. And it's not that there's no becauses there necessarily, but they're not as like as strongly connected, like. The dragon gets killed by a crossbow. What is the thing that Danny does that kit that, that avoids that? You know, and, and also she had been shot by a crossbow before. What is the reason that she walked into his ambush off of Dragonstone, which is a fucking island just a few miles off the shore of King's Landing, this the heart of the enemy empire? Like mm-hmm. and, and that's where it's like I feel like this really neatly summed up what I thought was going on. That we lost all this like unbroken chain of causality. Going back to Robert's Rebellion, and then we got substituted with just a whole bunch of these like cool, like like cool action points that didn't need any kind of reason. I mean, what, the most glaring thing is, best case scenario, we get a compelling reason for the Night King doing all this sometime in this season, the very last season of the show. Uh, I don't think we got that. We got like in the second episode. Uh, we're gonna use Bran as bait. Why? Well, because the Night King wants to end all stories. I don't know. I, that's just something I want to share because I thought it made some things like click for me. Um, and like, it's like, yes, this is kind of like why I think the storytelling is weaker in seven and season like seven and eight than it was in like one through six. So, mm-hmm. hey, before we get further into the episode, I want to talk about what's going on here at baldmove.com this week. Uh, we peer- periodically do a Q&A podcast to uh, have people kind of ask us off the topic questions um, around certain events and we had a milestone that we hit uh, right as we started a bald, or the Game of Thrones season where we hit our 50 millionth download on podcasts. Uh, you can send your questions to QA at baldmove.com. We'll be recording that sometime next week and releasing it in the TV feed, the Bald Move TV feed uh, and you'll want to be subscribed to that anyway. Because HBO has a hit on its hand, it is the uh, the the fictionalized retelling of the Chernobyl disaster and the series Chernobyl. It's really good. We're giving it full weekly coverage in the Bald Move TV feed. Uh, you'll also want to be uh, uh, subscribed to that because of the Deadwood TV movie event that's releasing this Friday. If you're a big fan of HBO and a long term term fan of HBO, you know that uh, Deadwood is one of their most beloved shows that didn't quite get the ending for various reasons, and they've gone back to do a TV event, and I can't wait to see it. That comes out uh, May 31st. That's this Friday evening, and we'll be talking about that next week. Also, on our Bald Movies feed, 
we have been going bananas lately. We just uh, covered the live-action film Aladdin last week. This week we'll be seeing Godzilla King of Monsters. It looks really freaking cool. Uh, if you didn't get enough dragon and monster combat in Game of Thrones, well, you can get it on Godzilla King of Monsters. That's going to be coming out in the Bald Movies uh, podcast. You can find Bald Movies and Bald Move TV by searching for those things in your favorite podcast aggregator app. Uh, and then finally, on twitch.tv slash baldmove, Jim and I will be playing our further misadventures in the game of Westeros on Winter is Coming. And we'll also be premiering the first non-club airing of our old uh, uh, Telltale Game of Thrones playthroughs. We'll be playing two more episodes uh, tonight. And then on Wednesday, as always, uh, Cecily and I will be playing uh, some co-op Mario action at twitch.tv slash baldmove. That sounds like a good good idea. Slot on over there, subscribe, and enjoy. Um, do you want to talk about predictions and score ourselves before we go on to feedback? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I want to shout out Nick M, because he actually went through and compiled all these uh, into a spreadsheet. Um, or, yeah, into a spreadsheet, I think. And then Cecily went through and actually pulled the quotes where we made it, uh, these predictions. So thanks to both of you for making this, this segment possible. Um, okay. So we had... Uh, a couple of general ideas about the show. So these were like in a preamble. You said, I want to see the show to succeed and that you actually found yourself in, in the bounds riveted by last season, season seven. And my thoughts were, I want to share with you my dream uh, of a satisfactory ending because all they have to do is do the big battles and the big scenes. How can they lose? Uh, hmm. I also said, I don't see any plot based potholes that they will not be able to fill. I, I, okay. didn't, I didn't foresee them introducing new ones. Yeah, to be fair, I think they had all the the tar and gravel they needed to fill those fucking holes. Yeah, they did. The, the tar and they just, just said, nah, Department we'll of, those for next the winter. The Department of Westeros Works had all the materials they needed. Also, and this is the one that really tickles me, I said, and I quote, I can't imagine the level of phoning in that would have to be done during the final season for it to be disappointing. Yeah. And I didn't imagine that 100% <laughs> of the phoning in would come from the writing department. <laughs> yeah. Man. Um, so they also... Um, uh, well, here's, here's, a, here's a comment that uh, I made that seems kind of accurate in, in, in retrospect. Um, if there's going to be any pacing issues... Though I didn't expect any pacing issues, but if there are going to be any pacing issues, the longer episodes look scabberate that... Or exacerbate? Exacerbate. Exacerbate. Yeah. Uh, and then I or elaborated and said, if you have one 90-minute battle and then next week you have another 90-minute battle, it'll be like eating too much chocolate fudge. Um, I definitely think there was a bit of that with these long battle sequences and the fact that they seemed very unmotivated uh, just, made it, just made it worse. Yeah, it was weird for me because the... the I, I never felt like, oh, I've had my fill of battle sequences. Mm -hmm. uh, what I felt was... And maybe it's because I was feeling like, why did that just happen in that second battle sequence? It, yeah. it was more like, I by the time I realized there was a battle sequence happening, I I had spent the first 10 minutes of it just trying to process why any of it was happening at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't registering as battle. Right, right. Um, so let's get to our predictor. Our, our character prediction so on Jon Snow uh, slash Aegon you said I think Jon is likely to die because there's not a place in this world for him you actually were right there was not a place for this world with them he ends, he ends up getting banished to a, a land north of the wall 
Um, but he didn't die. No. Not not physically. Uh, and I said if I had to bet money, I'd say one of John or Daenerys doesn't make it through. So, mm-hmm. And I said 50-50, come, you know, like 100% for both of them, 50-50 for each cumulatively. Um, so I think we both can cl- kind of claim partial credit on that one. Um, Tyrion, you said you see him with a Golden Girl-style ending. Tyrion and Varys drinking wine and making jabs at each other. Yeah, well, half of that might be true. It's just Tyrion and Bronn. And the ja- the jabs, the last jab we got, uh, the last good Tyrion Varys jab we got was uh, was another eunuch joke. Yeah, from the very beginning of the season, so that was nice. Uh, I said for uh, Ty- Tyrion, there's no narrative purpose for him to die, and he didn't. He didn't. And in fact, he's yeah. the 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 hand of the king. So like. Didn't see that happening with Bran, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. you know him him being like the head of state was was something on both of our minds. I think uh, Jora, you said uh, him becoming the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, following the steps of Jor would be kind of cool. Uh, I said he's destined to die in some kind of uh, showy thing. For example, killing Varys in a murder suicide. Um, he did die in a showy way for sure. I don't know what the so I have a list of like percentages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of, this, none of these comments too. are lining up. I don't understand. I'm just giving because the percentages are okay. I'll, I'll, let me do this. I'll give the percentages first, and we'll do our commentary. Okay. Uh, so you said, Jim, uh, you were convi- you said 20 percent certain that John would die, 80 uh, percent that he would live. Mm-hmm. I was 50 50 pending Don, Jan or, uh, John or Danny. Uh, Daenerys, you were 100 zero percent sure she would die, 100 percent chance she would live. Tyrion, yeah. zero, we both were 0% chance uh, dying, 100% chance living. Varys, uh, you were 0% chance on dying, 100% on living. I was 100% living, 0% of him dead. So I guess, um, yeah. Uh, then where we're catching up. Jorah, you said 100% dies. I said 100% lives. Uh, so you got that one. Uh, then Melisandre, you were 100% dies. I was 100% dies. Uh, our commentary on that was that she would die in a fiery blaze, is what you said. And <laughs> I joked that she would kill Varys or and herself in an elaborate murder-suicide murder, murder just to say, I was right about a prophecy. <laughs> um, you also said her shadow babies will live on. And I, I predicted that she would die running all over the battlefield birthing shadow babies, sadly. Wow. Although her running around the battlefield of Winterfell doing magic did happen. That did happen, yeah. It did happen. Partial credit. Partial credit. The Hound, uh, you said, is saying 50% waffling? And then when I said yes, he said, then I'm opening a Waffle House and saying 50-50. <laughs> right. Uh, I said Sandor getting peace would be a satisfying conclusion, uh, and and peace could be defined as death, so I was, mm-hmm. uh, I was cool with that. Uh, let's see. That's The Hound. Sansa, we were both 100% sure that she would live. Yeah, I think uh, we did the Star Kids like as a group, and all of them were living. Yeah, uh, you said that she will be the Lady of Winterfell, and that's her place. Actually, you uh, were wrong. Pretty much, <laughs> you, you did the Price is Right thing, where you came closest to that overbidding. Uh, yeah, because she's actually queen in, in the North. Yeah, uh, and then for Arya, let's see. We both were convinced one hundred percent that she would live. You said that she's one hundred percent. She has to tr- go to go south to try to kill Cersei, which you were correct on. Uh, I predicted didn't really she would, get a chance, but yeah, right. I would predict that she joined, or I predicted she would join the king or queen's guard because uh, I had this theory of like an all badass 
ladies queen's guard for danny which was was hilariously wrong on multiple counts yeah um i also joked that once she crosses the last name off her list which i thought would be cersei jacken would uncloak off her starboard bow and kill her for betraying the faceless men um bran okay this is a zero zero percent chance that he'd die and 100 percent chance we'd she, he'd live for both of us uh you said he'd end up under the we- weirwood tree in winterfell and I said he would be obliterated in a psychic battle with the king, with King's Land and in with <laughs> the, the with king. the knights knights king rather. Uh, so neither huh. one of those. It's funny we we both said that he would live, but yes, we kind of predicted a, a kind of a death. Like I guess you'd say merging with the tree would not be an actual death. Yeah, not for a three eyed raven. Uh, Jamie, you said he was eighty percent chance he dies. I was twenty percent chance he or twenty percent chance lives. I was a hundred percent chance he would die. Uh, and we, I was hoping with that twenty percent that he would go in and kill Cersei, and you know, he might make it out. But no, uh, I predicted that he might be the one that kills the Night King because that would make him the Kingslayer times two, mm-hmm. um, and the save, saving the realms of men uh, from from evil bastards uh, twice. Um, Brienne, we predicted both that she would live 100%, and some choice quotes were, it'd be super fitting if she just ended up by Sansa's side, essentially serving as her mountain. Uh, and then I said that there's going to be a lot of weddings, and it'd be like the Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King ending, except for every time you fade to black, there'd be a new fucking marriage starting. <laughs> uh, Tormund, we both had a shrug emoji for living or dying <laughs> who cares yeah and you said that he will end up in castle black which oh yeah kinda. actually was kind of sort of like until his best bro john came back and he decided i think john as his last act of lord commander of the night's watch disbanded the night's watch maybe yeah. he's like it's stupid it shouldn't be we're just gonna go north uh braun we said 100 percent chance he would live or die you thought 100 percent chance he'd live for me what yeah oh man and then i said braun is the cockroach with the heart of gold and yeah. now he's got a literal gold because he sits on uh, one of the richest uh, kingdoms in the seven kingdoms uh sam our official prediction was you said 50 50 live or die you waffle housed again i said 100 percent chance he lives uh, and our commentary was, he's going to die. You said he's going to die in his belief he needs to protect these people. Uh, and to be fair, he did die seven times in the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah, they they just didn't show us that. Yeah, he just kept, uh, they just kept forgetting in a, in, in a blatant continuity error. He yeah. kept on being alive in the next scene. Uh, I said he's going to have one more uh, unit of combat with his stolen Valerian steel sword, or we'll give it to someone. Ding, ding. Um, we also kind of rolled our, our predictions for Gilly and Baby Sam into those. Uh, Theon, mm. our official prediction was that he was going to die. Both of us are a hundred percent on that. Uh, you said it'd be more bittersweet if Theon saves Yara and kills Euron somehow. That mm. he, he, partial credit. He did save Yara. He did. Yeah, it took about forty-five seconds of screen time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think he saved Yara. I think that's how we both. Is I said he's going to go in and single-handedly best Euron in combat to save Yara, which. That was like a question mark because I was not buying him being that badass of a warrior, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yara, our predictions officially were 100% lives for both of us. You said uh, she'd either be a dead or a captive of Euron, and I said that Theon will save her and redeem himself in some kind of heroic sacrifice. 
Uh, Wait, I said she was either dead at, at that point. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, that, that was not a prediction. That was a recap. More waffling from the waffle. No. Uh, I also th- thought that she would be part of the Queen's Guard, the, the badass all-women Queen's Guard. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, let's see. Cersei. I think we're both 100% that she would die, oh, and that yeah. is true. Our commentary was, uh, there's nothing sweet about Cersei living through all this. Uh, you thought that she tricked Tyrion and Jaime into thinking that she's pregnant. Whether she's pregnant or not, it does. Yeah. It, 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 we have no way of knowing. It could be a quote-unquote hysterical pregnancy. It could be just her making shit up. It could be that she's actually, but whatever. I think the show's official point of view was that she's pregnant. I think so, yeah. Uh, I said that 3, 000, or 300% sure that she's dead. Um, so let's see. I also predicted that she would actually become pregnant, give birth, and this baby would be raised as John and Danny's because that was neatly sidestep Danny's fertility problem. Hilariously wrong on that. Uh, Euron, we were both 100% sure he would die. Um, I predicted that there would, this would go down in some kind of war with uh, the Golden Company and elephants. Let us know the elephants. The, the elephants, uh, they, they threw in that scene when they realized they didn't have enough money to render elephants in the Battle of King's Landing. So yeah. they went back and had Cersei being very disappointed. Um, Night's King, both 100% sure he would die. You said there's no sweet at all in a bittersweet pot if a Night King prevails. Uh, and then I suggested that there was a plot line where six different people would combine to kill the Night King. Brand distracts with this uh, psychic warfare. John faints at the sword. Gendry gores him with his fucking bull helmet, and Arya sneaks in with her mask. Nope, just just Arya. <laughs> yeah. Arya sneaks in, no mask. Yeah, sneaking with a, a leaping, screaming yeah. uh, attack from behind. Yeah, um, I always stealthy. liked in, like Assassin's Creed to do a stealth kill where I like jump off the roof of a third floor, you uh-huh. know, and land on some guy giving a giving a speech in a public square and just like you know. <laughs> Do this flying tackle, and yeah, it's it's stealth. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't see that coming. Uh, Gendry, we said, I don't have the I don't have the percentages on this one. Um, no, but we said that he might smelt an armor out of dragon glass, which turns out we were joking that that's impossible. But that's he started smelting weapons out of dragon glass. So yeah. Um, we said that he might come into play if you needed to like break glass in case John and Danny both die because he would have a strong claim to the throne. Um, <laughs> he said, "What if you made a suit of armor out of dragon glass?" And I said, "It'd be like the Night Queen, uh, Night King fighting as a wasp, uh, someone with a suit made out of raid." Um, uh-huh. So then, oh, last one, uh, Nymeria. Uh You said that. Um, I said it'd be nice since they went to the trouble of rendering her in adult form that she should return from River Run with her pack and whoop some ass at the Battle of Winterfell. You said you can go to gymthrones.com to read my fanfic, which is Bran as Nymeria being ridden by Arya. It's four pages long. It's two ninety nine. It's essentially the last four minutes of the podcast. And turns out there's actually a gymofthrones.com where you can read his fanfic of, of oh, Namaria and, and brand warging into her. And it is in, indeed just a transcript of the, that, that part of the podcast. So, all right, I got to look this up. Uh, how you think, uh, Oh, also, uh, the, the chances of Jim reading a book, to, the reading the books to find more about the white walkers, a hundred percent chance that that theory would die. Yeah. Uh, given by did. Jim. And it did the it cruelest did. of deaths low. It came to pass, uh, 
So there, how, how do you think we did overall? I think we did pretty well. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you you nailed the big two, right? The the 50-50, either, either or of Dan and Johnny. But I didn't uh, see it. Dan and Johnny. Jan and Don- Yeah, you yeah. finally did it. Jan and Donnie. But uh, not obviously in the way that it happened. No, but I mean, the, the, the idea was correct that not the, yeah. both of them, you know, the world wasn't big enough for the both of them, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the, some of the characters around the edges, I think we nailed the Starks. We nailed a lot of the big ones. Yeah. Which so. I think adds kind of like uh, legitimacy to the argument. It's like, look, we're not disappointed at how this ended. Uh, I think we were kind of up for anything. It's more of like, you know, like oh, we win. It's like we went away from the because, therefore, to the and then and then and then. And there's just so much, only so much of that that you can take before like it is no longer the thing you fell in love with. So, mm-hmm. were you looking up something, or should we? I was looking at Jim of Thrones dot com. <laughs> yeah, so Cecily threw that together. I don't know when. Yeah. Uh, sometime in before the last twenty four hours for sure. Uh, yeah, Jim of Thrones. Check it out. Before we get the feedback, uh, one final time, I want to talk about the club at club.baldmove.com. It's essentially how we paid most of our bills around here. It's a great way to support independent podcasts, and you get a lot of bonus features. Um, one thing that we're going to be kicking off that we do periodically is something we call the Empire Business, where we talk about uh, the highs and lows of running a podcast startup, and we go behind the scenes, talk about our uh, our, our our what what do we call that our 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 checkbooks, our balance books, our ledger, our spreadsheets, mm-hmm. our money, our financial situation. We talk about new initiatives we're trying. We talk, explain how podcast advertising works. Uh, we, we debate new club features and whatnot. We're going to be kicking off a new season of that that's going to last several episodes. Uh, so if you're interested in any kind of behind-the-scene looks of, uh, of an internet startup, a podcast startup, if that's something interesting to you, uh, you can get a whole bunch of information existing right now. We're starting a new season in the weeks or two, uh, the weeks, the weeks ahead. Uh, all that can be found at club.baldmove.com. In fact, you can preview a lot of these features, uh, the video features. You can test drive them for free. Uh, you get more information from them on that page, and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial just by going to club.baldmove.com. Okay, feedback. Uh, this all is right. the last feedback that we are doing for Game of Thrones. Um, but we are also going to be covering the prequels. Uh, we'll also be, I know for a fact, we'll be, I'll, I'll be back at least to talk about Fire and Blood later this year. Of course, if Winds of Winter comes out, if we get some significant news on uh, the, the, the new prequels, if a trailer comes out, like, come to this feed. It'll probably be renamed. It'll have a different, uh, some cover art on it, but it's going to be the exact same feed. This is going to be all of George Martin's stuff on HBO uh, going forward. So, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. I imagine we'll probably rename that too, uh, but it'll probably always redirect. Anyway, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. We've got some final thoughts. Uh, we'll read them off air. Uh, here we go first. Uh, Arthur M., where and how do I get a copy of the Game of Thrones theme uh, podcast music you use? I love it. So, By a guy called Highway Superstar on SoundCloud. Yeah, he's kind of blown up in the last few years. He's got his, I mean, like, if you search for Highway Superstar, he's got a Wikipedia article, and there's, like, you know, writ- articles written about him, and uh, he oh, he had this thing called Game of Thrones, the 80s TV theme uh, remix, and if you go to any of our articles about Game of Thrones, it's at the bottom. There's a link to that. But if you search for just Highway Superstar, you'll find a SoundCloud, and you can download a lot of his music. I know this one in particular as an MP3, because when I forget... When I when I when I leave uh, when I'm trying to do, produce one of these at home and I don't have the assets, I can just go to his site, download it, and snip out the first 15 seconds, and boom, you got a podcast. 
Um, and really much appreciate him letting us use uh, excerpts from that song because I really, you know, I, I think it, it gave it gave a nice bow tie for the podcast. For sure. Um, so there you go. Amanda C. I think the worst thing about the finale is the lessons it tells. I feel like the most important part of any work of art is the moral message it teaches. So what's the lesson of Game of Thrones? That if you're ever in an abusive relationship, not only will you never be able to enjoy a healthy, respectful one, but also your abuser will literally take you down with them. That if you have an abusive parent, you cannot escape that fate and will be exactly like them. Even if you've never met them, have spent years building a support network and repeatedly worked through your decisions to pick the most morally good ones. In the end, I feel like the Double Ds were so concerned with the spectacle and foreshadowing they don't think they even stopped to consider what message they were sending. I mean, yes. I don't think Dan and Dave... Like, whatever message is in Game of Thrones in the early goings was the message that George put there. And I I think they are very incurious about any kind of societal message that they, that they, that they send or do. Uh, they're all about, is, a cool, is it a cool story? Huh. Yeah, man. <laughs> I just how much do I speculate on these guys? I mean, we've got we we've known them for ten years. We don't know them, but we they they put out a the a, a product of work for the last ten years, and it might not be fair, but you can definitely say things about them based on what they're putting out there publicly. Yeah, and I think about, you know, the other show that they wanted to do, this retelling of American history involving uh, the Civil War and slavery. And, like, I I can't imagine you go into a show like that with zero interest in any societal statements. That's a good point. Because if you do, mm-hmm. then... It, well, I don't even think you come up with the idea to make that show... Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you've seen like uh, you know Man in the High Castle, and then decided, hey, we could do that, but with the Civil War. Mm-hmm. This, uh, there's there's so many wars. Oh my God, we could yeah. do this with every war. Which yeah, one's yeah, cool? Yeah. Civil yeah. War. Yeah. Uh, so clearly they think about those things, but whether that made it into Game of Thrones or not, I'm I'm not sure because ultimately it's not their story, right? They're mm-hmm. just kind of trying to do justice to whatever outline they had from George. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think they, they considered it much. I don't even think they considered, like, if like if you take the moral lesson and, like, what it says about society, like, just... At the end of this, do you think, like, when they were at... When they're done a script, do you think they did one last, like, is this bittersweet? Is this maintaining the tone that we think that the original is going to have? Because I, I don't know. Like, a lot of stuff... Um, like we talked about, Bran sitting on the throne. That seems like a kind of cool thing for one of the Stark kids to do. Uh, this guy who thought he was never going to be able to be a knight or never be able to sit a horse, and now he's sitting on the iron... Well, what it used to be called. The, the, the iron puddle at this point. Um, there's a lot of problems with the way he sat on it and the powers that he has, and what will that mean for Westeros and, and, and him as a human? Yeah, and the fact fair. that, is that even Bran Stark anymore? And he wasn't at the beginning of the season, but now he's at... Like, there's a lot of sinister things there, and I don't think they ever kind of like, okay... Like, like almost feels like the, the second they got a coherent plot mechanics that would get them to the final bullet port, point that George gave them, if indeed that's what they did, then they're like, okay, we're done. We can quit now. Uh, let's, yeah. let's give these let's so I I I, I, I don't know 
um, than thinking about like what theme or what lesson or what the youth of America or the world will learn from watching this. I don't don't think was anywhere on their radar. Okay, Kevin H. I'm assuming it's going to be Kevin Hart, and uh, I appreciate celebrity feedback. Uh, I had a thought about the Night's Watch remaining intact and the lack of explanation in the show for why the institution remains. For centuries, since a long, longer long night, the Night Watch stood as a colony of criminals guarding the realm from, essentially, wildlings. Without the Night's Watch, the wildlings would mate at Southwood Wall, but who in the Seven Kingdoms would have believed the White Walkers had risen, even if relations with the wildlings had been relatively peaceful? Should a White Walker resurgence or some other extinction-level threat arise in the real north, it could realistically wipe out those living north of the Wall, assuming they attempted a last stand or were unaware of the threat in the time in time to retreat and continue south without the Seven Kingdoms having any warning. No matter how far down the timeline this may occur, it seems worth keeping those towers manned into perpetuity. Just in case, it might be worth running a, a hose on that broken East Watch portion for a few decades while they're at it. I don't see there being much to lose by continuing to banish criminals through the wall, if uh, not just to keep an eye out on things. So this is kind of like I remember, like listening to like Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History podcast series on the Mongols and uh, Genghis Khan, mm-hmm. and well, the one thing that that I well, there I took away many things in that series, but one is like back in antiquity, the idea that there is an unknown out there, like. You don't guard your like we don't guard our border. We we gu- we don't guard our borders to Canada because we're friends, right? But if if Canada was just an empty, vast expanse, and you didn't have radar and you know like like spy satellites and stuff, just assuming that no one's up there and no one will ever be up there, and no one will ever for, will come is like super fucking dangerous, right? Because that's how like all these powers got 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 taken over by Genghis Khan like they didn't even think that there would be a people out there let alone something as relatively sophisticated as as the Mongols so I get I think what he's saying here Kevin is that like defending this unknown border is something that you would want to do regardless like unless you're 100% sure the knights the the night the the white walkers are dead and there's no species that would ever threaten you again or there's no weird land bridge from another part that some other civilization might come and and conquer you through that you should keep that border defended what do, what do you think of that yeah i mean ice spiders alone the ice spiders are right. scary enough to keep me uh on the night's watch yeah yeah, you got to keep keep the the mastodon the woolly mammoths and the ice bears and ice spiders all that stuff um, yeah, and I mean, I mean, I think like even the sort of head Kennedy reason of like, well, they need some place to send the prisoners uh, or or people who are no good for this world. <laughs> Might as well keep the Night's Watch open. Uh, that works for me, but yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense too. Uh, Ann W had a couple other thematic things she wanted to talk about. Uh, in her opinion, John did fulfill the Azora High prophecy because, in a way, he did defeat the darkness. Now, we did talk about this on the spoiler edition, uh, but I'm going to do kind of a paraphrasing for this since everything's all said and done now. Uh, the darkness was not just a long night as we thought, but really more of a threat to the innocent. He was the one who defeated the darkness when he led the fight against the Night's King, who then literally turned into ice water. He then went to fight what he thought was the next threat to the people, Cersei, a lion, and finally realized he had to defeat the biggest threat of all to save the people, his love. Now, Anne is referring to a prophecy about Azor Ahai, uh, the Nisa Nisa prophecy, which said that the Forge Lightbringer, the sword, the magic sword that was going to turn to darkness, that this Azor Ahai smelted this sword for many, many days. He tried to quench it in water like you do, and it, and it shattered 
Then he worked on it for uh, twice as long, and he tries to quench the sword in the heart of a lion, and it shatters. And with sadness, he realizes what he must do. And now he smiths this thing for four times as long as original, and he plunges it. He's, he quenches it in the heart of his wife, Nisa Nisa. And it shatters, and he's like, oh, God and he's damn like, it. fuck, this just, I'm, I'm a bad blacksmith. <laughs> no, My it does not shatter. <laughs> steel is so brittle it, it can't Maybe it's handle. a different part of the process that's yeah. causing this. He need, yeah, he's, he's smelting smelting dragon glasses is just tricky. Only Gingri has mastered the art. What if that doesn't work? I, right. I mean, what if you plunge the sword in the heart of your wife? What makes you think that the lion's heart was not good enough and the wife's heart would be? Well, that's and- the thing is like this prophecy is very like a biblical prophecy. And like if you've read the Bible, um, you know, because it's it's some of this prose is thousands of years old. Uh, not the best narrative sometimes. Uh, and I, I feel like that's like there is <laughs> but no normally in the Bible they get visits from the Lord or something yeah. like like if the mother and the warrior like all right. if if the seven gods come down to him and all tell him you need to quench this in your wife's heart right sure I could see maybe following that advice but just to get the hair the yeah. wild hair like ah uh, no, he intuited it yeah. yeah yeah it's a weird thing yeah um, but no I mean. This, the, like I said, thematically this does work, and it mm. wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me at all if this works thematically because this is actually, in broad strokes, kind of what Martin like. This is his clever way of of making this Azora High stuff all track through. I think you know you need a little bit more explanation to justify like 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 things he doesn't have an agency over. Like like if Arya kills Night King in the book, then how does John get credit for that? Yeah. Unless he's like a joint, like, you know, some kind of joint effort, like I was joking about, that like several people had to, and, and Ari is the one that lands the killing stroke. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of like if you squint and you don't think too hard about it, like that all that all lines up the water, the lion, and then the lover's heart. Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, when Tyrion sees the body of Jamie and Cersei, he picks up some odd bricks and starts banging them together in grief and frustration. I thought that was a nice callback to the story he told about his cousin, Orson, banging beetles with a rock. The sentiment being that these deaths were so senseless and cruel for him, especially as uh, Tyrion had tried so hard to save them throughout the last two seasons. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anybody point this out, and I thought that was pretty good. Because huh. it's very consistent with the kind of thunk, thunk the mindless mm-hmm. death and, and, and killing um, that, that, uh, that the cousin Orson was doing with his beetles. I don't know if the Double Ds were trying for that. Because that's like that's something they invented for the show. That that cousin Orson talk doesn't happen in the book. So it did seem one of the things on their agenda was all the shit that they had put in, like you know the the prophecy about the eye colors, like all that stuff was going to be significant, and it was all yeah. going to pay off by God. So this is consistent with that. And uh, moving on, Kathy P. In regards to the Jamie storyline, it has bothered me that a general consensus seems to be that the last two episodes ruined his long-coming redemption arc. I disagree. Jamie's redemption arc is in fact simply or is intact simply by everything he has done in the past few seasons. I might even argue that Jamie has always been redeemed, but his ego and reputation just got out of the, got in the way of that. To the viewer, he went from someone who pushes a kid out of the window for Cersei to someone who humbled himself to fight under Brienne and chose to do the right thing during the Great Battle in the North. But as we learned in the brilliant hot tub scene, Jamie killed the Mad King for good reason, for the greater good of the people. The public shift towards revealing the good person that Jamie always was underneath his ego came when he lost his fighting hand. Though being seen as weak for the first time in his gold-plated life, he was put in a place of being humbled, similar to what Tyrion has lived with his entire life. I'd argue that they are very similar to the core and always have been. 
His choice to return to Cersei does not dampen this arc or whatever it's called, revealing Jamie's true good nature. He returned to the side of his sister and mother of his children. He's proving his loyalty to her, almost in the same way that Brienne had a loyalty to Catelyn Stark. Returning to Cersei, in my view, only makes his arc stronger. He chose duty and loyalty over happiness, which also reinforces the theme of family that's echoed throughout the series. The pack survives, which is the Stark's motto, um, and Cersei is like Jamie's family, or is Jamie's family. What do you think about this take? I mean, I, I am glad that you can reconcile those things. I think that a, fi- a character's final disposition in a show is the definitive stamp on who they were, and I think returning to Cersei shows that the the betrayal uh, of not fighting for the living was not one that was strong enough for him not to uh, continue loving her. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is a return to old Jamie, who would do despicable, horrible things. Mm-hmm. Like, if if they live, let's say Jamie and Cersei live, and Jamie's put to another test where he has to murder somebody to protect Cersei's an innocent or paralyze a child, the end of this show tells me that he will do that again. Yeah. No problem. And that was not the Jamie that I was coming to terms with. Yeah, and I just don't buy this, like, uh, Kathy's thesis, which I, I agree the show does focus on the importance of family. Um... But the whole like blood being thicker than water and like you know the like loyalty to some fa- to your family is admirable in and of itself. Like I think like loyalty to any ideal or any institution is only as admirable as that institution or idea is. Mm-hmm. Like loyalty to tyranny is bullshit. You know loyalty to injustice is is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know if your family has has loved you and and done right by you and or you know like you know they're all we're all imperfect people, but like. You know, be loyal to your family, that's fine. But if your loyalty is a bunch of murderous thugs, then disloyalty to them is actually like loyalty to the the greater kind of, you know, human spirit or the, 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 the mass of humanity. So I, I don't like yeah. The I don't I don't think Game of Thrones is like family like the, the story is family is important. It's more like I mean yeah, like 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 it's not above all though, right? No, it can't be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- no, certainly not. So, like, yeah, he's. It's, so, so that's why I guess I was disappointed that, like, I didn't think that his family earned his loyalty. Um, and uh, even Tywin, like, the loyalty is a two way street. Like, you have to do what's best for the family. What's best for the family is to have a dynasty and to be in power and respected. Not that you have healthy dynamics, not that your family is happy, not that they're necessarily even prosperous, not that the realm is prosperous, just that you're on top of it all, mm-hmm. always. And that's that's a that's a hollow ideal, and it, it I, I don't think is satisfying in, in some kind of redemption arc. Uh, Richard, did the new process of selecting the king uh, really break the wheel? As I remember or understood the wheel, it was a process where a select number of houses were the spokes, and the wheel would roll with different houses rising to the top while crushing those underneath. Granted, the new process will be less violent. However, it's still the most powerful houses selecting who will rule over the others. I would argue that the wheel remains unbroken. Yeah, I mean, the only thing this does is introduce some kind of elective process for choosing a new king. And you can kind of extrapolate from that and say, okay, well, maybe, you know, hundreds, thousands of years from now, they might end up on a system a lot like what we have here in America or in Europe, Mm -hmm. uh, in many other nations, where people actually elect the leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that that govern them. Right. And I think this is like a micro baby step toward it, but it's an important one. So it, so it sort of leaves you hopeful at the end of this series that something is going to change, even yeah. if it's not completely 100% changed and perfect right now. Yeah, and I think the reason that it feels kind of unsatisfying is like all the reasons, like, you know, if 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 they sat Bran on the throne and everyone agreed to it, that'd be fine. But, like, the thing went fucked as soon as Sansa said, well, what about the North? Because the North gets could get special treatment. Mm-hmm. Um Every single lord sitting there could say that, like you know, how many, how many, some of these houses fucking went extinct. Like you know, bronze there, and there's there's no Martells or not Martells. There's no Tyrells left. There's no Martells left that we recognize. I guess there's some fourth cousin that 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 spiffied up, got the sun spear on, and and arrived in the delegation. But like it. It felt hollow because half the people there we didn't know. The other, like a third of the people that were there that we did know probably didn't have any standing to be to be to be voting there, and they turned it into kind of a joke. But like that's not funny. And yeah, like okay, let's say Bran lives for a long time and he rules and he doesn't have children, and it's fifty years later and he finally dies or merges with the Force or whatever he does. How do these lords? How do these lords pick a new king? Like, and, and else says Edmure just put himself forward for the entire kingship. He, I, the fact that he wouldn't instantly be like, "Well, I should be, I should be king of the rivers now." I, I, I don't know. That, that's that's why I feel like that. Yes, it doesn't feel like it broke the wheel because we don't know the mechanics of how they'll actually resolve the differences. They're saying like, "This is how we're going to do it," but that's like. You know, saying that like if uh, you know you're gonna get two groups of uh, you're gonna get a group of ten friends and instead of fighting about where you go to dinner every night, uh, all ten of you will agree where you go to dinner on Friday nights. Well, what happens if one person wants steak and everybody else wants Chinese? Does everybody does is like does the one per- like how do you resolve that? What's the mechanics? Like it was it was superficial and not depth enough, not in depth enough, and also didn't feel like a big enough change. I think those are some of the problems I had with it anyway. Because uh, it does feel like, yeah, what I'm getting at is in 50 years, unless everyone agrees on the new king, it's going to be fucking war, which is kind of what be. you had anyway, except for you yeah. had an ironclad, this is how things are done, and and you got it, like, the only way, the only alternative to this automatic happening is war. So now you've got a process that adds chaos and confusion in that, and also the alternative to it is war. It, it did feel kind of unsatisfying. Uh, Brent K. Overall, the last two seasons of Game of Thrones have been a bit of a bummer, and it's easy to point out the writing as the main culprit, but I think the worst thing that happened to the show over the final several seasons was the door episode. The Hodor twist was such a shock and one of the most amazing twists I've seen in any TV show, but it's also a catalyst for so many insane fan theories and ended up leading to the subprime fan theory crisis of 2017 and 2019. Everyone started expecting too many shocking twists, that then, which then never came, and the disappointment was inevitable. I think once that happened, the expectations for Bran's character went through the roof. Is he the Night King? Will he warg into the dragon? Is there more time travel? The possibilities were endless. All the theorizing spiral, spiraled out of control and did nothing but set the table for disappointment. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that was certainly something that was heavily discussed at the time. Like, right after this whole Hodor, hold the door thing happened... Uh, everybody's like, okay, what are the extents of Bran's powers? What kind of being does this make him? What does that imply for the future of this story? And honestly, they did as little as humanly possible with any of that. 
they 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 used it to prove one plot point true, which was you know John is a Targaryen, uh, but beyond that they sort of ignored it, mm-hmm. and that's the worst part of this is that they ignored it. Yeah, they didn't say okay, what are the logical conclusions of this character's newfound abilities, uh, the things that we now understand he can do and he understands he can do, and let's write to that. They they said okay, we got to write to the end of this story and sort of ignored all those things. Yeah, a lot of that. Like, uh, same thing with um, Arya's, like, face-swapping powers. There's a lot of, yeah. like, seeming... Things that seemingly were handmade to do something cool and mind-blowing in the final twist. Mm-hmm. And yet we got pretty conventional endings all around. Yeah. You know? Like, even the Dragon Glass curiously didn't... Re- like, everyone had, everyone had Dragon Glass weapons... So it's just essentially a way to make the the f- combat with the dead essentially be like it's combat with the living. If you can yeah, stick yeah. them with this pointy thing, they die. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now they're just like people. Um, and the the you know the I guess the Valerian steel that was kind of cool, but you didn't see like there was never like a one on one with John or even Jorah that had a, a Valerian steel weapon where it really kind of made a difference. I mean, Jorah got the Boromir his way to Danny's heart, but um. Yeah, I, I don't know. It did seem like that threw a lot of f- fuel on the theory fire. Like all these ways, and w- I we, I talked about I've talked about this consistently that like that can be dangerous because if you engineer a show where anything can happen, then like the writers can sometimes go crazy and just you know plot mechanics something out of their ass because you've got all these crazy powers that can fit together in infinite ways, and here's one of them, and that can feel unsatisfying. I never in a million years thought they'd run the other way and just like, okay, all this canon that we built up that can be tricksy and make people's faces change and, uh, you know, stature change and can shift time and space and manipulate information. That's just not going to be important. Yeah. I mean, so many of those things I feel like you could have got around with like character motivation, Uh, a little bit more fleshing out of that, right? Like if Bran was just the type of person who realized, look, I can't interfere here or or you know you could doctor strange it right there's a lot of ways to like make the character refuse to use their powers um and have that make a lot of sense in the story like aria i I don't know if she somehow like decided no there's not the person i want to be and these face powers are part of something else in a, a past life that i no longer want like you can get there to limit the powers of these seemingly limitless uh characters but they just didn't even try and do any of that. Yeah. Which is the worst part. And I, it's interesting to frame it as like, you know, the the speculation, the theory crafting is what got out of hand. I disagree. I think the theory crafting, that door was not held. Mm-hmm. That door was kicked wide the fuck open. Mm-hmm. And Dan and Dave were desperately trying to hold it, but they weren't either. Like, nobody was at the door trying to hold it. There was shit, like all of these horrible things were rushing in and everybody was just ignoring them. Yeah. But that's George's problem in a microcosm. Yeah, like, look that's how tough. fucking cool the state of the board is. It's amazing. Okay, what's the end? Yeah. <laughs> and all preferably <laughs> make it be an end that no random jackass on the internet has ever guessed before. Right. Uh, which I think George has given up. He, he revealed it five years ago that like his current understanding of how things would end was guessed by some obscure like as and he's like, well, then I was faced with what do I do? Do I change her? Do I'm like, no, I'm just going to tell the story the best I can. If he still feels that way, I don't know. But like. Yeah, and f- you're right. Like, it's curious that they went and did that with Hodor. Like, why not just change that? 
You know, like why in- introduce this concept of like some kind of mental time travel or being able to affect things in the past and like this causality and have th- people thinking back to the future and Terminator and all this other shit when that was not going to make a difference. And the other thing is, like you said, that like the it's not that the powers didn't like Bran was fully warging in that battle. But as far as we know, he was just using it to get a uh, uh, to, to just to get a crow's eye view of the Night King. Yeah, which he was which not helped, going to oppose in any way at all. Yeah, I don't get it, man. Uh, so yeah, um, and M wondered if you guys can comment on how the actors themselves shaped the way the series has progressed. It seems like the show is also shaped by the actors, many of whom they were hired were hired as kids, and luckily turned out to be pretty good. I'm not so sure about the actor that played Bran. Were his lines poorly written, or were they limited because they would have the f- fallen flat on delivery? How much secret ambition and inner tension can be conveyed with the blank stare? On the other side of it, actors like Kit Harington had the charisma that exceeded the noble but dumb character he was supposed to portray, leaving people very invested in him and his fate. Uh, although I'll say that like people's mileage on Jon Snow varied. Like I was listening to some pre, like like back when I was listening to a lot of podcasts before the season, there was a lot of people that this thought that John was just you know he, that he just uh, he's he broods, he's a brooder. Yeah, he's a I don't think brooder. John was anybody's favorite character, despite. What Andrew McClay says uh-huh. in the in the documentary. He's a Stark Bannerman. What's he? What is he yeah, supposed to fair. say? Uh, but yeah, John John Snow. That's one of the things that struck me in that documentary is how sort of emotionally intelligent you can see uh, Kit Harrington is. Like his reactions to these readings are one of someone who is deeply emotional, and none of that comes through in John Snow. And so, like, he's doing a really good job acting that character as you know someone who doesn't let those things get to him but like you you do get the impression that man they could have done so much more with kid harrington uh that they just didn't do because of the character he's playing well i just think uh, so there's a couple things about um isaac Hempstead wright is that his name yeah because uh, before before i defend him i want to get his name right um you're only as good as what you've got to do and 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 how you're directed like for example natalie portman i think is a fantastic actor but she's terrible in the prequels but if you watch behind the scene footage she that she was doing exactly what she was told to do like like lucas had this idea that this child queen would be like that's like a socially conditioned to not have emotion and to be regal and to like (laughs) i just saw aladdin come on yeah to be to be re- uh, all this stuff and so like she did what she was just she was supposed to do like if she did more than that she wouldn't be doing her job and i think for a long time like you know while you think about like what sophie turner was allowed to do what Maisie williams was allowed to do what material they're given like bran was uh riding around on hodor's back being pulled by mira and then the last two seasons you're supposed to understand he's this otherworldly creation that can't even a ad- um, uh, 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 wrap his head around his own humanity, and I think that that performance is what is 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 what you wanted to to for that. That was what he was asked to do. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, like all these others, like we're having these like betrayals and uh, you know, getting sold off and and getting hijacked and getting murdered and being uh raised from the dead and raising armies and losing armies and undergoing intense training, um. I, I I don't know, so I I don't want to. He seems like a I, he he seems like a he seems like a good enough guy. It's just like what what would be a compelling way to play Bran as written? Yeah, can you just not write characters like that? Mm-hmm. You know, because 
it's not super interesting. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. And then certainly not elevate to that that person because that's the other thing is like his. Uh, I, I do feel like this like the. I thought I thought my my search for Spock analysis was pretty right on, and that they they wanted to set set like Star Trek six Spock on the throne, but they were at search for Spock levels of, of his character development. So they just had Brand start cracking wry jokes at the end to desperately imply that he's kind of enough there that someone might sit him on the throne and not and and everybody. But it's just it's just ridiculous because like. Even Tyrion's like, who has the best story here? Any four of those people could have raised their hands and put their hat in a ring with Bran. You know, like Arya's probably like like yeah. John, John and Arya are probably the two most incredible people still left on the board, but Sansa too. Like her like like what is special about him, you know, like John fucking came back from the dead. Yeah. So and and, and, and unified uh formerly ununifiable force right against the night king to right. ultimately defeat them because because stories you know Tyrion didn't say who knows the most about all of human knowledge he said who has the best story and i yeah. I, I don't know um michael s have the, and this is the last email um has there been any other hit tv shoes sh- any hit tv shoes uh, who had a final season as bad as game of thrones i have not seen one but i want to ask you the tv experts in terms of how good the, the rest wire. is... In terms of... <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, you know, some people say season five is a bit of disappointment. Well, compared to the stellar yeah. one through four, yeah, sure, but... In terms of how good, good the rest of the season series was, can you say how this could have been uh, known as the worst final season in the history of television when compared to how good the rest of the series was? So, I did some thinking, and I did some perusal of other people's lists, and I kind of compiled one, and it seems like there's two ways to make it disappointing... Um, uh, uh, a series of television like one is it's divisive and that like some people say oh it's really amazing or it's worth the joy and, and then others uh you know hate it then there's some that are kind of universally reviled and then there's some that like have a, a slow decline and they switch showrunners and you know this show does feel like a show to almost switch if, if you if i told you that in between seven, season seven and eight that the double d's were fired and they brought on some jobber the finished Game of Thrones, and that's why it's 18 months, uh, uh, you know, over schedule and all that stuff, and that's why, like, that would make a lot of fucking sense. It could, yeah. But that's not what happened. But that sometimes happens. Like, showrunners get too expensive, or main cast members get fired. So here, here's kind of a list of, like, a consensus list of disappointing episodes, uh, seasons of television, or series of television. House of Cards. I don't think House of Cards ever started off as an A+. But it's a pretty satisfying, trashy B plus, and where they get to, and you know, this was a double whammy that like showrunners changed, the show was renewed past its natural like like this thing had a three season expiration date, it made it to six. Its main star was fired and fucking disgraced to where they couldn't even use his his likeness in the final season. It's like everything possible could go wrong. Um, the the House of Cards is hilarious to watch, but it's not good. So that there there's one of them. Uh, True Blood, again, not the world's greatest show, but it was pretty trashy. B solid, B plus fun, and it had one of the worst, most insulting. Find a way to piss off every faction of the fan base uh, uh, endings possible. X Files. X Files was considered excellent up until its movie, and then Chris Carter had he. Huh. 
almost like George Martin. Everything had gotten bigger. Everything got bigger. This like, oh, you thought it was just this. Now it's aliens. Oh, you thought it was just aliens. Now there's another alien faction. You thought like, and it ended up being a big pile of shit. All of its main cast retired uh, or, or left. And, and I don't even know how that thing ended because I bailed at season six, seven. Um, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I think that's more divisive. This isn't a divisive yeah, camp. Yeah, because I like it. Yeah. I like it quite a bit. But there's a lot of people that thought, like, and I didn't see the, the final season, but there's a lot of people that thought that it was kind of, it felt cheap. It didn't feel like it was earned or it was building up to something, and and uh, they were disappointed. It has a big twist ending, sure. Similar to Lost. Yeah. Yeah, that's another huge divisive one. Lost is a show that I'm getting bigger and bigger, bigger started in uh, involving time travel, and like there are all these mechanical options, and then, again, I didn't see this one, because I, I saw where this was going in season two infamously and bailed but that's one of them uh i, I saw this was a lid that made a lot of people's like top 10 list weeds the final season of weeds you've seen the whole series did you did i've you... seen the whole series a couple times i can't remember the final season uh oh, the show got weird around like season five after nancy gets out of prison mm-hmm. uh that show gets really weird and in, in a not like normal weird weeds way uh, but I don't remember the finale, especially. Yeah. Well, or final season. Uh, yeah. Dexter, infamously. Uh, yeah. I, I've not seen the, the final several seasons of Dexter. but After the John Lithgow season, everything went downhill. Yeah. And I, I guess, like, the particular finale was kind of reviled in infamy for how mm-hmm. it left the main character. Um, yeah. Mad Men was a pretty divisive finale for a very well-regarded top five golden age of television yeah. show. Yeah. I mean, this is almost like a Jamie Lannister type subversion of expectations mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you really really want that character to be changed right and then the ending leaves you uh potentially dissatisfied mm-hmm. i was not one of those i thought that was a really good yeah. finale but i it you know it, it was certainly divisive and then like the granddaddy pre-golden age saint elsewhere oh, which i've right. not seen any of this but i understand that's a hospital procedural that eventually ended on the final f- uh, episode of speculating that all of the stories that just went on in the show were in the mind of a mentally disabled boy who was staring at a snow globe that happened to have this hospital as its center. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, that is total horseshit, and I can't believe anybody trotted that out as, like, a fanatic. Like, why, instead of having, like, all the, you know, why end on that? But then also, it's a procedural so, like, who gives a shit? You can just, like, the, the great thing about procedurals is you can pretend entire episodes don't exist, entire plot lines, yeah. because they don't really impact things in a major way. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Um, this is the first time that, well, I don't know if it's the first time, because I believe that Lost was the biggest show ever on television when it was at its height. Oh, yeah. Um, and I go, Game of Thrones is, again, the biggest show that's ever been on television in terms of viewership, in terms of like budget. Uh, and it, it, it went this route, but it's definitely up there. And, 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 and in terms of divisiveness, divisiveness, if not out and out quality. Are you trying to build a theory where by large, uh, enormously loved television shows simply can't finish in a non-divisive, satisfying way? I think it's hard. It's because it's always like everyone has like uh, what I've observed in my almost decade of doing this is a lot of the fun and people's enjoyment is making predictions and then seeing those things either come true or seeing how they misread the hints and something even better happened. Um, 
people don't like it when something predictable happens and people don't like it when something just completely out of left field happens. And when you've got a show that's been going on X amount of years with 50, 60, 70 hours of footage available and people have been speculating it for seven years, every season that goes on makes that something fresh and different but familiar and relatable that that barrier gets harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think a lot of these, these things that do seem to like, you know, like, like the loss and Mad Men's just pivot to like, you know, fuck it. We're just going to go for something that feels emotionally right or feel like, like this feels like a similar to the tone of the entire show. Then it actually feels like a really neat bow that we're putting on it. Yeah. I think the best thing you can do is write a strongly character focused drama. If that's, if that's, you know, uh, if drama is your thing, uh, focus on the characters because yeah. I think you can do predictable. You can also do satisfying if you're focused on the characters. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think Breaking Bad does so well is, yeah, there are twists and turns along the way of the plot, but I, I never really felt like I was super in the dark on those, right? Mm-hmm. And and the occasional time where it does twist up, it's like, okay, everything makes sense. But in the end, it's all about the characters. And if I'm feeling good about the characters in the the finale then you've done your job with that show Mm -hmm. it's they're they're not trying to oh let's twist it up one final time you know let's really nail this final one no just focus on the characters and the drama will be satisfying yeah and i think that um so i don't i i don't know what game of thrones legacy will be in, in in the final estimation because i think that there's a broad consensus that if you stop at the end of season six, then this is just 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 an amazing setup for an end game. And then I think that consensus does feel like the end game is a little feels curiously rushed and botched and not as thought through. So what do you do with that? Like I don't know. Like if the books are finished and like George Martin comes up with a satisfying conclusion uh that kind of matches up at the end of season six, and I think there's gonna be a lot still a lot of people loving uh, Game of Thrones because one thing I, I for, honestly one thing I'll forever be grateful for Game of Thrones is that the it was such so well cast that when I went to read the books I got it was much easier to get in those books because I had very for like I knew what Ned looked mm-hmm. like I knew what his sons and daughters looked like I knew what Cersei Lannister looked like I knew what the uh, you know the, the Robert Baratheon looked like um and that's like a, I think that's super helpful. Um, so like, it'll be neat to have all of these visualizations. Maybe my imagination's just broke because I'm too old. But I think it'll be cool when I read Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring, assuming they come out. Is I'll already have like all this stuff, these set pieces in mind, and all George has to do is have a more satisfying way, and then suddenly says season seven and eight is redeemable because like. The Battle of King's Landing is pretty cool. The Battle of Winterfell is pretty cool. There's some individual beats and military taxes that don't make sense, but like what's on the screen is fucking amazing. So like having that as like your Cliff Notes version or your, you know, uh, as kind of just like something running in your head while you're reading that, I think is going to be valuable and 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 useful. And also we like if the prequels, we've always said like if the prequels can shade in some of the Night King's motivations and make you know, like you just just single-handedly make that part of the plot more meaningful, so the Battle of Winterfell feels more significant because it really does. That's the other thing I think season eight did is that it did make all of the White Walker shit that we assumed was so important kind of irrelevant. 
Mm-hmm. Like it, it was. He had all that build up, and it was dealt with in a single single episode. And I, yeah, I, again, I, I don't know. I don't know how you fix that. Um, and we probably will be debating this for weeks, months, years to come. Oh yeah, so, I, I see. You know, the debate already happening online. Um, yeah. and it's cooling off a little bit. And I think everybody, everybody is so oversaturated with Game of Thrones at this point. I every single person that I hear talk about the show is like. Oh man, you know that ending. Uh, either I loved it or I hated it, and here's why. But also, oh, I'm glad it's over. Like I, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. Like you know, I, I love the show, but I'm tired. You know, or Amelia Clark. We're tired of getting up at three thirty in the morning and having her hair done. Right, and it, and maybe that's the bittersweet that George is talking about. Is simply like, yeah, the show that you love is going away, but also everything all the baggage like all the the constant bombardment because it's everywhere you can't escape game of thrones and if you're online you know what game of thrones is you've heard about game of thrones and the people who are in it and have been in it for years i think are ready for a break Mm -hmm. um at least that's the sentiment i see but like the the thing about this show that i think will be remembered is the journey because you know it's always about the journey more so than the destination and the journey for the most part was excellent on this show. If, if you look at seasons one through four, I can't think of a, a bad scene in the entirety of them. Uh, even seasons five, six, and seven, there was a lot of good mixed in with, you know, some, some minor bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then season eight, you know, I think fell off a cliff, but a lot of people don't, but ultimately like everybody had fun. And this was the thing that I love about lost is you just had fun talking about it with everybody going on this journey, seeing what would happen next week, speculating on, Oh, where's this going to go? What could this mean? So many people did that. And, you know, for us as podcasters also, it was a journey with our fans. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I'm, I'm glad that everybody joined us on this and, you know, the journey isn't over necessarily because we will be covering the prequels, uh, or whatever, if it's just a prequel mm-hmm. or multiple prequels, we'll be covering them. Uh, but yeah, I, I just really appreciate, you know, everything that we as a community have done around Game of Thrones, but let's just take a breath and wait for these new shows to come. Yeah. Uh, wait for the books to come. You know, let's maybe not have this argument right now because it's too emotionally charged. I think people are getting very defensive on both sides mm-hmm. about their opinion of it, uh, me included. And if we give it a few years, you know, give it until the the prequels are upon us, then we can start talking about this and looking back at it and saying, okay, how do we really feel about this? What's the good and what's the bad? Because right now it's either the worst thing or the best thing ever. And that's not accurate. Neither of those opinions are accurate. Yeah, and I'll always remember, especially stuff from season one, which I hadn't read the books, like when Jamie threw Bran out the window, when uh, you know, Tyrion's trial by combat, uh, Ned being beheaded, like... Uh, the Red Wedding. I mean, yeah, there's... Yeah, like, because I already knew the Red but like, when I read the Red Wedding and, and the, the Purple Wedding and the, the, the death of uh, Oberon at the hands of the mountain and seeing all those things happen... Um, it was just so incredibly rewarding, like the things that happened exactly the way I thought it would happen and things that happened slightly different, but because they were smart at ad- adaptations, like, um, I will, yeah, I'll always, rem- I'll always remember that. Yeah. Um, so I just think that they had a little, they had some trouble sticking the landing. Um, George will get his shot if he wants to take it. I do think that in my lifetime, this will almost certainly be remade. Uh, like I'm, I'm trying to think like 
does it get remade especially if George Wright finishes the books or especially if because I almost feel like it's more if, if he finishes and it's awesome, then it's definitely going to get remade. If he finishes and it sucks, then like it might kill it for good. But if he never finishes, then like I almost feel like that's such a challenge to filmmakers everywhere. Like, can you can this is this will be the new this is unfilmable. Like right. we thought it was unfilmable. We got six seasons into it. Turns out no one can finish this thing. It's unfilmable. Like that's like a gauntlet thrown for every aspiring filmmaker sure. that has any kind of uh, uh, soft spot for science fiction fantasy. A lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So how do you not, 20, 30 years in the future, how do you not you know, pick that gauntlet up and be like, you know, shit, we're just going to tweak these things and we're going to come up with a new cast and we're going we're gonna to do it. Yeah, so, I think it'll be done. Uh, that's it for Game of Thrones. Uh, of course, it's not it for Bald Move. We've talked about uh, the Bald Movie TV, the, the Bald Movie feed, the Bald Move TV podcast. Uh, that we've got Chernobyl going, that we're going to be getting Stranger Things going, uh, that we've got uh, Watchmen coming out later this year, uh, and and tons more of stuff like that. The finale of Mr. Robot. Uh, this Dark Materials looks really interesting. We're going to be taking a close look at that, too. Lots of stuff if you want to continue your your journey with, with uh, Bald Move. Even on the Game of Thrones universe, we'll be con- keeping this feed around and talking about the prequels. Uh, you can follow us on our social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Bald Move. Um, and uh, we really hope you stick around. We've enjoyed having you. And uh, we will hope to see you in the wars to come. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Signing off. Goodbye. Goodbye.